Thank you, Brenda. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Of course, it's the 4th of July weekend. A lot of people take a holiday on that. I'll just give you a piece of advice. Between now and the start of school, most Sundays are going to be like this. Don't let that be a barometer to your spiritual enthusiasm because people have to take vacations while folks are out of school. So we understand that. So people will be on the road between now and the end of the year. I'm glad that you came. When you're in town, it'd be great if you would come simply because we have so many people that are out of pocket. Fourth of July weekend, of course, is not just another holiday. It's time where we celebrate our independence. Celebrate our independence. We look back on our national history, and our independence, of course, was won by patriots. Patriot could be defined as this, if you look it up in the dictionary, a person who vigorously supports his country and is prepared to defend it. And our freedom that we enjoy today is ours simply because of the sacrifices of people who met this description of a patriot. This morning, I want to look at another patriot, a patriot who amazed Jesus. And this man is found in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Now, when he that's Jesus, concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation, and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such a great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories about Jesus. We thank you that they're real. They're true. Father, show us some things that we need to hear this morning. We ask that you would just address our utmost needs today and help us to do business with you before this day is through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> the patriot who amazed Jesus. The patriot we're speaking of here is a Roman centurion. Now that we know that he was a patriot, of course, a patriot vigorously supports his country. A patriot is prepared to defend it. He was a centurion. A centurion commanded 100 men. 
He had a century, a hundred men under him. This position was not earned simply because he had done time in the military. These promotions just didn't come because you had finished up a certain amount of time. This was earned by dedicated service, by loyalty, willingness to excel despite any cost or sacrifice. These men have been spoken of by scholars as the backbone of the Roman army. He had amazing credentials. Now, these credentials didn't amaze Jesus, but they have amazed writers of the period. Did you know that centurions are mentioned several times in the writings of the gospel and of the book of Acts? Every time they're presented in a positive light. This is quite remarkable, simply because the writers of the New Testament, by and large, were Jewish men. And this was a Gentile man, and he impressed them. And we realize that they wrote about his impeccable credentials. Centurions were always spoken of highly by other scholars. Roman historians write about the credentials of these men, about the character of these men, about the work of these men. Everyone was amazed at their credentials. If anyone would qualify as a patriot in his country, this man was indeed a patriot. But not only were his credentials amazing, I want us to look at the centurion's amazing love. And his love was amazing in two areas. First of all, it says a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. We read this. We can't think of it in terms of how amazing this is because we do not live in the Roman culture. But you have to understand, to most Romans, and if you remember Aristotle, the Roman, the, the Greek philosopher, he summed it up this way. A slave was simply a living tool. It was a possession. It was an implement. There was a Roman writer named Varro, who said it this way, the only difference between a slave, an animal, and an ox cart is that the slave could talk. Another Roman writer said it this way. He wrote a book on estate management, how to properly manage your estate, make the most out of your resources. And he recommended that a farmer examine his implements every year, plows, wagons, those kind of things, and throw out all of those that were worn, old, or broken, and do the same with your slaves. So therefore, this man that was sick and ready to die, according to Roman culture, should have been abandoned and left to die. He shouldn't have even been paying any attention to them. He should have discarded him a long time ago like a, a broken plow sweep. That was the Roman culture. This was a Roman man through and through. He was a patriot. But he had an amazing love because it says he was so dear to him, he would send for Jesus. That is a love that is totally amazing. Something else about his amazing love. 
as they were speaking with Jesus concerning the fact that this man had a slave that he loved very much and he wants you to come and heal him. They said this in verse 5, for he loves our nation. He loves our nation. Now, we knew that he loved his own nation. That was the Roman nation. But imagine that. The attitudes and values of the Roman Empire stood opposed to everything God stood for. They had multiple gods. They had very questionable morals. They celebrated things that were vile and vulgar to the people of God. They celebrated those things. The Roman Empire stood for everything that God was against. And they stood against everything that the people of Israel cherished, especially there is one God, maker of the universe, God of all God, king of all kings, Lord of all lords. There are not many gods. There's one God. The Roman government stood opposed to all this. The Hebrew nation stood for all this. And it says of this man, he loves our nation. He loved the Hebrew nation. He loved the Hebrew nation even though it was far from perfect. If you read through the Gospels, you'll realize that Jesus said some things about the Hebrew nation. You know what he said about the Hebrew nation? He said the Hebrew nation had some hypocrites the Hebrew nation had some judgmental people in there. And even though it was far from perfect, this Roman centurion loved the nation of God. Oh, there's a lesson here. A lot of times people just turn the church away. Turn it off. Just disown the church because there's some judgmental people in the church. There's some hypocrites in the church. Therefore, I want nothing to do with the church. This man saw that the Hebrew nation was imperfect, but he loved it because God loved it. And you see, God loves the church. And even though we're far from perfect, even though we're filled with imperfect people and sometimes hypocritical people, and sometimes judgmental people, we ought to love the church. This man had an amazing love because he loved the nation of God despite all of its faults. He loved the nation of God even though it stood for a lot of things that his country didn't stand for. He loved it and he put his love into action. He didn't just say, man, I really love what y'all are doing. It says, he built us a synagogue. Can you imagine that? It wasn't something just had to do with the civil part of their country. He built them a synagogue. The only purpose the synagogue had in the middle of town was the worship of God. This man put the bill for the synagogue, paid for it. He put his money where his mouth was. You see, he loved the nation of God, and he showed that love because he was willing to invest in the things of God. We say we love God, and we say we love the things of God. We love the people of God. We love the work of God. We should take an example from this Roman centurion and make our investments where we say our love is, and that is for the work of God among the people of God. He had an amazing love. Now, that's not what amazed Jesus. It, it amazes us as we look at the fact that he loved his slave. It amazes us the fact that a Roman would love the Hebrew nation, but also this man had an amazing 
truthfulness. This man had a lot going for him. He had amazing credentials. He had risen through the ranks. He had attained the, the position of a centurion. He had the respect of people in the military. He had the respect of civilians. He even had the respect, obviously, of Jewish people in his town. He had an amazing love, and we know that he had a lot of morals, high moral standing. But his truthfulness is found in verse 6. Jesus starts going with them to his house, and here comes another group from his house. He was not already far from the house. His centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. He had a lot going for him. He was a man of, of rank. He was a man of stature. He was a man of, with a public position. But this man with a public position was willing to say, I am not worthy that Jesus should even come to my house. I'm not worthy. You might say, wow, this man with his credentials, this man with his morals, this man with an amazing love that surpassed anything anybody could expect, if he's not worthy, who is? None of us are worthy. You see, his truthfulness was the fact he realized no matter, else what, no matter what else he had going for him, he wasn't worthy of the presence of Jesus. We're not worthy of the presence of Jesus. He was truthful about it. Will we be? The Bible says some things in the Old Testament and the New Testament to this effect. In Isaiah chapter 64, the words of the prophet says this in verse 6, we are all, underline that word all, as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We are all, every single one of us, an unclean thing. We're all sinners. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. It didn't say our sins are like filthy rags. It said our righteous, the best we can do. And the word here is quite specific in the Hebrew. It means like a stained shirt. I may have a white dress shirt on, and it may be the best dress shirt I have. But if I pour barbecue sauce down the front of that dress shirt and it stains my shirt, I can't get that stain out. It doesn't matter if it's the best one I have. I better not be wearing it up here because it's unworthy. It's stained. Our righteousnesses, the best we can do, still stained with sin, making it unacceptable. So, like the centurion, we're all unworthy. Paul said in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, the prophet Isaiah said, back in chapter 59, verse 2, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. We're unworthy of the presence of Jesus. We're unworthy of the presence of God because all of us have sin in our life, every single one of us, every single one of us. That's when we get to the amazing part that amazed Jesus, his amazing faith. It says, when Jesus heard these things, he said, he marveled, he was amazed. He said, I have not found this kind of faith. 
even in Israel. It's quite interesting. He had an amazing faith in Christ, but before this, something happened. Did you catch that as we were reading through this passage of Scripture? You see, in the book of Luke, he says something in his introduction about details. And the details are important. little small detail you might read over and not catch if you're not careful. In verse 3, it says, So when he heard about Jesus, he sent the elders of the Jews to him. Wait a minute, back up. When he heard about Jesus. How did he hear about Jesus? Somebody was talking about Jesus. Somebody was saying something about Jesus. How are people ever going to hear about Jesus in our community if we don't talk about him? Did you catch that? You see how important it is to be a witness for Christ? You see how important it is that somebody in that day and time was talking enough about Jesus? He heard about Jesus and he believed in Jesus. And it changed his life. It changed the centurion's life. And it'll change others' lives if we would get busy and just talk about Jesus in a positive way. Tell somebody about Jesus. His amazing faith was this. He said, don't come under my roof. Just say the word and he'll be healed. You don't have to come touch him. You don't have to come see him. I know what authority is about. He said, I'm under authority. I know that. But oh, I have men under me. There's a hundred of them. I got a hundred men. All I have to do is say the word. You go here. He'll go. You do this. He does that. I know what authority is all about. And I know you have the authority to say the word and my servant will be healed. Wow. That's authority not over people. That's authority over nature. That's authority over the world. That's authority over anything and everything. Things that are out of human control. He knew Jesus had the authority over that. He said, you just say the word. And my servant will be healed. And when Jesus heard that, it amazed him. That's what amazed Jesus. This faith. Why is that? This man was a non-Hebrew individual who grew up in a culture that celebrated many gods, that celebrated ungodly practices. He grew up in all of this, but he heard about Jesus and his faith surpassed any faith that Jesus found in the nation that called themselves the country of God. That's what amazed him. He said, I hadn't found this kind of faith among the Hebrew people, among the Israelite people, that people that have come up with the word of God from generation to generation to generation, all of these people, nobody in this country has the faith that this guy that grew up in the Roman culture, wow, his faith amazed Jesus. It was a saving faith. Now, now, where do we get that? We, we don't get the fact that he prayed for salvation or any of that. What, did, what does it say? The book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him should never perish. This man believed Jesus could do what he said he could do. This man believed that Jesus was the son of God and was God. He believed that. Or he wouldn't have ever said, you just say the word. My servant can be healed and you don't even have to be there to touch him or do anything. You have such authority. Your word carries power. He had a saving faith. You see, we're a lot like this patriot. We're a lot like this patriot. All of us are unworthy of the presence of God because of our sin. But you see, God made a way. And it's summarized several times in the scripture, but specifically in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 6. Listen close. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having been justified by his blood, will be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we will be saved by his life. We were lost and undone, unworthy, and God made a way sending Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet enemies, Jesus paid the price. And the Bible clearly states simply, you believe this and just call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Is that a reality in your life? The reality is we're unworthy. We're undone. We're lost. All of us is the reality that you know Christ and his saving love, an amazing faith and an amazing Savior. Whatever you need to do to make it right with Jesus, I want you to come this morning as we stand and see what number. number.